So this week we're going to be talking about Brunswick and the Railroad Square project. So for those who are not paying attention to Brunswick, um, Railroad Square is a affordable housing complex that first came up in 2017. But it, it is something that has caused a lot of stir down in Brunswick. It would go on um, the downtown area, kind of on the corner of South Maple and West Potomac Street. And it's coming up from the parking lot for the uh, Marks train station. So you can, um, if you've been down there, you can kind of see it. It's also kind of in the spot where uh, those four buildings were burned in a February fire. So this has been a project that has gotten a lot of resident heat. Um, at first, when it was first proposed, um, it was not well received. Um, but it kind of came back, I think, in a little bit of a surprise to some people. Last week, the Brunswick Town Council voted to send a letter of support for an affordable housing project. And the the specificity there is important that they're supporting affordable housing, but not necessarily supporting this project. And we'll get into that in this episode and sort of the timeline about how the project began and how it looks a lot different from what it did years ago. But first, to really understand Railroad Square, you do need to go back to 2017. Unfortunately, neither Wyatt nor I was employed at the uh, Frederick News Post at 2017, but our very own Kate Masters was. So we asked Kate to come by and talk to us a little bit about what the Railroad Square project was when it first started. But to give some context, we actually have asked Kate Masters, who reported on it in 2017 and 2018, yes, um, to talk to us a little bit about how Railroad Square was first proposed and some of the reactions from both the council and the neighbors. So Kate, where does this story sort of begin? So the story begins, and I went back through some of my old notes and stories, and we first did a big story on it in July of 2017. So the summer of 2017 is when it's first kind of introduced, and it starts with developers. Um, at the time, it was with uh, Verdant Development Group and Pearl, and that management has since switched. But the concept of this is the same. So developers came in um, in conjunction with Scott Lessler, who's a downtown Brunswick property owner, and floated the idea for this um, mixed-use slash residential development. Part of it would be um, a workforce housing apartment complex that would be very close to the Mark train station in downtown Brunswick. And then as part of the deal that was also proposed, um, Scott Lessler would renovate some of the historic properties that he also owns in downtown Brunswick and then convert those into shop spaces um, and hopefully more desirable retail spaces, you know, stores on the bottom, more apartments on top. Um, and, and it was floated as a concept that would help bring more foot traffic to Brunswick, essentially, and fill a need that really does exist in the community and in Frederick County overall for affordable housing. So let's like... Yeah. Let's go back even further. What is downtown Brunswick like? So, yeah, I'm really glad that you asked me that because one of the, the most interesting things about reporting this story was kind of the reaction um, to the, the housing complex, which surprised me because, I, you know, I came into the news post, started covering Brunswick immediately, and a big problem that every business owner talked to me right from the jump was, okay, we have cute downtown Brunswick, which is very lovely and charming. It's right next to the CNO Canal. It's beautiful. But right as of right now, the downtown historic buildings haven't, been very well maintained and there's not very many businesses and so there's a, an extreme lack of foot traffic um there's a woman named beth johnson who lives there she tried to establish a gluten-free bakery called better choice um and she actually had issues and had to switch to wholesale because she just wasn't making money by having the store open um just because there weren't enough people coming to brunswick 
Um, so it, it's a pretty, I don't want to, like, it, it's, it's a nice community, but right now they are, I think, struggling to attract more people. So you paint this picture of the downtown of being a place where they want more foot traffic, more people living there, and sort of an increase in businesses and, and people that are supporting local businesses. So it sounds like this revitalization or development is a really good idea. Did it come across that way? Well, I think that they were hoping it would come across that way. Um, but it, it, it there was a lot of... Res- I mean, again, the people who come, I think that there were a couple people who spoke in favor. And then obviously, when you have a council meeting where an issue like this is being discussed, everyone who's a detractor is going to come up and show their voice. And of those people who, who showed their voice, there is a lot of opposition. Um, a- another piece of context that I want to add is that a project that was not too dissimilar was actually proposed by Scott Lessler. I think it was back in 2011, where he owns these properties downtown and he wanted to build a condo, like a set of condos that would be sort of luxury and obviously they would be available for purchase. And then it just did didn't pan out. He said that it wasn't um, fiscally feasible. And then it kind of goes dead. It kind of goes dormant for a while. Scott Lessler is not based in Brunswick. He's based in Virginia, which I think is another source of tension because it's like, it feels like there's not buy-in with the community, right? Because he's not there. Um, and so residents, when the condos were proposed, love that plan, which kind of makes sense, right? Because you have you have these people who are dedicated to the community and they want to see investment in the community. And I think, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, on it but they wanted people who had the income to buy a house then move into downtown Brunswick and obviously the thought is that people who can afford to buy a, a luxury condo can then afford to pay and and a lot of money in frequent downtown businesses and so I think that for a lot of the detractors in Brunswick the idea of affordable housing complexes were a lot different um, you know right from the beginning it was like these are for people making thirty thousand to sixty thousand dollars a year um, you know, a, a very popular refrain is like, oh, these are for nurses and firefighters and teachers, you know, people who are nice professionals, but don't necessarily make huge sums of money. And there was a lot of concern from residents about whether I think this would attract Section 8 housing vouchers and whether it would become Section 8 housing. There's a lot of concern because, again, the developers weren't from the community. The main property owner was a man who doesn't live in Brunswick. Um, there's been a lot of tension because he's owned these historic properties and commercial spaces and kind of just like sat on them and not really done a lot. Um, and I think that there is a real fear that, okay, you're going to be making people or you're going to be bringing people who make $30,000 a a year, but there is a real belief that people who make $30,000 a year won't have a lot of expendable income to, you know, help downtown businesses. And you talk about this tension between a developer or someone who owns businesses who doesn't live in the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw that in attending community meetings, people would come up and speak and sort of share their thoughts about the project. And they would phrase it as, I'm not from Brunswick, but I've been living here for nine years, 10 years, which in my mind sort of says you're from that area, but coming from a small town, if you weren't born there, you're really not from right, there. Right, right, exactly. So with when this proposal first comes up um, and you so, see these residents react, were you seeing residents who live downtown react or were these a lot of people who may live in places like Brunswick Crossing, which are just, you know, a couple streets up a hill from downtown? Um, I would say it was kind of mixed. There were lots of, there were some people who lived downtown, um, and then there were lots of people who kind of lived on the outskirts. Um, I, I know that one of the, the, the residents who was really outspoken about it sort of lived, um, 
a little bit away from downtown in sort of a historic property that he um, and his wife built and fixed up. Um, but I would say that it was kind of an, a concern that was shared by a lot of people in the community. And then I would say that a lot of times it was people who were either like downtown adjacent or not in one of the developments, because it's also true to the extent that Brunswick Crossing is like a brand new subdivision and it attracts a lot of people who are commuters. So Be- Brunswick is kind of their, their bedroom community and then they go to D.C. for work. So you have this development, it comes up several years ago and they have this idea for housing and development of businesses. It goes before the city council and there's a lot of pushback. What happens next? So, I mean, I would say that, again, there's like a lot of pushback from residents and there's a lot of trepidation there's trepidation from some factors of the council um, who was sitting while I was covering Brunswick. But I think, you know, I spoke to Mayor Snoots at the time, and I think he was relatively supportive of the project. He wanted to learn more, but it was like, well, we need to attract people to downtown Brunswick. Right now, you know, it might not be realistic to think that we're going to have luxury condos. So let's start with workforce housing and establish a base and build from there. And so because of that support, it's not like the project was immediately nixed. Um, and so things go forward. It's kind of a, a slow moving process where they have um, a lot of public workshops and public hearings. Um, the developers change a bit, like I said. Um, but when I was covering it, it was progressing. So you had them submit plans for what the development would look like, um, hear a lot of concerns which also oh, oh there's also a lot of concerns about con- congestion downtown what would happen with parking um how those crowds would be controlled um again how desirable that the apartments would be um for people who it was also suggested that it would be an attraction for people who maybe work in dc and wanted to live in brunswick and take the mark train into the city and i think there was skepticism about that um and towards the end of my tenure covering brunswick they had started talking about a historic overlay um for the city and and they put it they rezoned it to accommodate those apartments which is a step forward but then there was also so much opposition that they submitted a survey to downtown residents to kind of get a sense of what they wanted to see from the the apartment complex so you mentioned Mayor Snoots, but what about the rest of the council that was currently sitting at the time that you were reporting on this? Were they in favor, willing to listen, or were they outright against this? So, uh, yeah, I think that um, they're, you know, so so at the time I was covering Brunswick, um, obviously Mayor Snoots was there. There were also um, two council members, Vaughn Ripley and Harry Lashley. And I think that they were both in the receptive and wanted to hear more camp um, it was the same with Carol Jones, who's like a very, um, you know, like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to misspeak, but he's a longtime Brunswick resident. He's been involved in city government for years, and he was skeptical, but I think also, you know, would like to see his town step forward. And then um, I, Tom Smith was another um, council member, another longtime municipal government um, leader, and I think he, by the time that I left, was still pretty resistant to the project. So... Clearly, there's been a little bit of overturn with the council. Um, Were there any members of the public that ended up on the uh, town council now that were very outspoken during your time? Um, So this is something that I'll have to fact check with you. But I know that um, I I believe he was elected to the council, Andy St. John. Yeah, he I think that that was a big reason why he ran and a big reason why he was elected, because he was really concerned about traffic downtown and he was concerned about the development and how it would 
impact the city. Um, and so he sort of ran on that platform where I think that there is some fear from residents that the, the council wasn't handling it appropriately. And so they sort of wanted more citizen engagement. So now, so we hear that, you know, there are some people who are very upset, some people who are kind of thinking about it on the council, some people who are maybe open to it. But what happens with the Railroad Square project? Does it go past the council? Does it make it to the Planning Commission? Um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the Planning Commission definitely got involved. Bruce Dell, who was um, head of planning and zoning, um, was very involved with efforts to establish a TOD overlay that would rezone the area where it was situated, the proposed site, um, to make sure that it would accommodate housing. And then right around the tail end um, of my leaving was when it sort of hits, starts to hit a few snags. Um, I know that there there were movements to establish that as a historical zone, which obviously, if anyone's familiar with the historical zone in Frederick, um, creates very stringent guidelines for building and new construction and can really nick, nip future projects in the bud. Um, and that was sort of the main development. And there was some valid concern because another important component of that this project is that um, the funding would come from government subsidies, like government housing subsidies for workforce and affordable housing. And that was a that was something that the project really hinged on. That was developers' financial plan. So they needed to be approved by the state of Maryland to get those vouchers. And I know that there is concern because developers applied for those grants um, before they had really notified the council and before even Mayor Snoots knew about it. So I don't know. I can't speak for them. I don't know if it was intentional or not, um, especially given sort of the outcry from the citizenry. But I think it struck a lot of people as like, oh, you're kind of trying to pull <laughs> pull a fast one and sneak in. Um, and I think even that made the council members or people who are supportive kind of be like, whoa, whoa, like you need buy-in from the community as well. Yeah, your reporting bears out that they had sent this application to get the federal funding for the housing and then the city sort of finds out about it and then writes a letter of not approving or sort of not supporting the the project at this moment. Exactly. And it's like they're politicians. So it's, you know, why would you, you don't want that to happen. You, you've lived in this town, you know, for all of your life or a lot of your life, you know, you have the buy-in to actually run for city government, which is a thankless job. And so obviously you want to know about these developments and you obviously want to approve them and make sure that your constituents approve them. So just to go back to the residents outcry, when you were hearing it from people, I guess, could you just give us like the top three? Because I, I know that people have many different reasons for opposing it or for wanting it. But what were some like the top three reasons that you heard people opposing it, at least in 2017, 2018? Yeah, so definitely, um, I'd say that the top three comments were definitely Section 8 and whether it would become a Section 8 housing unit, which... Um, you know, it is a middle, little misleading because technically, like, all any apartment complex, like, actually has to accept Section 8 housing vouchers. So, like, it can be the most high-class condominium in the world. And, like, if you have someone submitting, with, like, they have to accept or consider it. Um, so that was a big concern. And then tying into that, I think it was the concern over having out-of-state developers um, and property owners. And there is a fear that, okay, you're going to come and build this housing complex. And who knows what the construction quality is going to be. And and then, um, you know, you're just going to leave it and it's going to become like decrepit and another eyesore in downtown Brunswick. And then I think the third concern definitely had to do more with infrastructure, like what would happen with traffic where, you know, parking is already pretty down bad downtown um, during the day because a lot of people park their cars 
in the city and then ride them mark into work and then pick them up at night so how would uh, parking be managed and sidewalks in Brunswick are, are already not good so how are you going to improve that and would schools be overcrowded and so I would think that those were the top three concerns that I heard. I came on to cover Brunswick about the end of August and at this point the railroad square project was pretty much dormant, almost dead. That letter no support really stopped the plans because you can't get um, tax credits without that letter of support. So the project just kind of stopped. So as Kate mentioned, one thing that they were really talking about was this idea of a historic preservation uh, district, which is something you see in Frederick where it sets really strict um, things on what they can have their buildings look like, what buildings can go up, what buildings can come down you know you can get really strict to even what color like the window panes are um so they brought in a historic maryland preservation um and they came in and they said they did a whole pres- uh, presentation for the council and they suggested the idea of a conservation district so they floated this idea and they created the preservation and revitalization committee um which is very new and it is looking at the idea of whether they can actually do a conservation district downtown and if a conservation district goes through, that essentially makes the Railroad Square project dead on arrival. Well, not necessarily. But first, what they did is, even as they were floating this idea and creating this conservation and revitalization committee, is that they did this thing called a downtown moratorium, where it's basically no demolition downtown. And they made it temporary. It was a very heated discussion when it came up because there were attorneys that were associated with the Railroad Square project that, you know, mentioned that this could be very uh, devastating to their clients if they put up a permanent uh, moratorium because you do have to demolish some buildings to build Railroad Square. Um, So that has been in place and it's going to go into place until October. So not a huge deal with the Railroad Square now um, because October is coming faster than many most people probably want to admit. Um, So then they'd have to take that idea up. Um, But with a conservation district, they would have to kind of talk about it. They haven't applied for it yet. They're just looking at the standards. They've like gone to different places. I think they mentioned a last meeting that they went to Cumberland and looked at that district um, just to get an idea of what they might want the downtown to look like. And at face value, this is not a horrible idea. You know, Brunswick is historic in its own nature. Um, And you can make a town look really cute. I mean, think about Frederick. It is a pretty cute town. I know I grew up in Ellicott City, which is a historic district and you can see that you can demolish buildings there because they're talking about demolishing buildings there so that was one of the things that kind of came up though and it was definitely without being said kind of subtweeting the railroad square project because it never was come you know brought up during the discussion but it was clearly kind of about the railroad square project when they were talking about conservation and the letter that the the town had sent not supporting the project sort of put the brakes on the project for a time being, but now, of course, we are talking about it. How did we get to this point that Railroad Square is now back leading sort of the conversation in Brunswick? So you can kind of see with the conservation district and building demolition moratorium that is clearly on a lot of people's minds. There was a kind of a fear that this project was going to come back. And sure enough, um, a couple of council meetings ago, it did come back. Um, uh, T. Wesley Poss, um, who wor- works for Verdant, um, the developer group that was going to develop the first Brunswick uh, Railroad Square project came back and he presented again and this time it was a different presentation. Um, It was still affordable housing at this point it was still 51 um, but we'll talk about how the plan has changed again Um, but it had you know included that retail space that people called for with the um, 
the discussions earlier. They talked about possibly having enough retail space for maybe an office and then retail on the bottom or maybe two-story retail, possibly retail underneath the housing complex. Um, the parking garage was going to be below ground. Um, at that point, it was going to be a partnership with Scott Lessler. I don't believe that's the case anymore. Um, they might just buy the buildings from Scott. Back then, it was still um, talking with Scott about renovating those buildings along their standards so that you could have that retail space. Um, but one of the things, and you know, they talked about open space. They were pulling it back from the roads. They weren't going to have to take out some of that um, parking. They weren't going to have to make the road changes they had originally proposed. So a lot of the complaints that you heard Kate talk about, those were all, all now you know, being discussed in this plan. And it, it made some waves. I mean, you still have people who are very angry. I mean, I got flyers after it that were like, no projects in Brunswick, uh, we don't want this. But um, you saw other people like um, Karen Tome, who's a former mayor, like she started being like, all right, I'm in support of this. Like kind of that starting the shift from, um, from this. And you even saw that shift on the council. I mean, there were people who were still opposed to it. Um, but you saw Snoots um, and Ripley and Smith kind of start talking about how, you know, they thought that when they heard there was going to be another presentation, it's going to be this, you know, coming back with the same idea. They aren't going to listen to us. It's going to go badly. But they were like, oh, actually, you you did listen to us, and we appreciate that. And that brings us up to this week where you see the developers sort of doing a double-headed approach with back-to-back meetings in Brunswick and having public comments and sort of responding to what people think about the new design. So I was in Brunswick last Monday evening talking to some of the residents during this public comment. And it was really a two-part presentation. They had members of the United Way and the Affordable Housing Council there talking about the need for affordable housing in the county, as well as some of the constraints and struggles of what is happening in Brunswick in terms of financially with with the people there. Um, And then members of the public could sort of respond to that. And then the developers got up and sort of talked about the new designs and how they had listened to the public concerns and what had changed from those plans that they had presented a year ago. And then I went to a meeting the next day where you saw the council getting this very similar presentation, not so much on the affordable housing statistics that you got to hear, but just more about like what their presentation was. And they were asking again for that letter of support, um, which the council ultimately did give them um, with a four to two vote um, that basically says that they are in favor of affordable housing like project on the railroad square land. It's mostly in support of this project. It's in, they weren't they didn't say that is in so many words, but it's also acknowledged that this you know project will have to go through a lot of obstacles. It has to go to the planning commission. It has to go to the, you know before the city. The city's going to make a lot of requests, and if they meet all the city's requests, then you know then they are probably going to be in favor of the building. So it's not quite yeah we're in hundred percent support, but it's a lot closer than they were last year. Um, but why don't you talk a little bit about how the building has and the property has changed its design a little bit more? Yeah, that was something that the developers emphasized during that meeting and something that several residents had talked about, that in the sort of years that they've been working on this project and had these number of meetings with public comment, that the developers had really listened and changed some of the things that people were concerned about. So one was the sort of size and space of these apartments. Um, they have essentially expanded the size of the the bedrooms or the units um, and dropped the number overall number of units. Now we're looking at 43 units in the, the complex. The lot will have about 30% green space, which includes a playground and just some other general green space areas that allows it to be set back from the road a little bit rather than coming all the way up to the sidewalk. 
Um, and then, like you talked about, the the possible business or office retail flex space um, was something that people had said they were really interested in to get new businesses and really support local businesses in downtown Brunswick. And let's talk a little bit about the fire, because I do think that it plays in a little bit more. So it was, what, February that you covered a fire in downtown Brunswick? Yeah, it was a Sunday morning in February that a fire had broken out. Um, at some of the buildings that Scott Lessler owns um, with the the businesses below and then several apartments above. And that sort of shifted what is happening with that development. Um, as far as I know, the, the developers are in contract negotiations to receive those properties and sort of put that entire square under one development group rather than having Lessler developing his area and then the rest of the sort of rectangle being developed by a different development group. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about the idea of, um, of people being on supporting it or people against it. Cause I know that I heard from about 10 people and it seemed like there were some people who actually said, you know, again, when I first heard about this, I think there was a, someone who for, or had formerly run for, um, or had sat on the council, called it an ugly block. Um, and now they're in support of it and kind of called out people who were upset with the things being like, well, what would you propose? I think you mentioned like, you know, people want to park there, but it's a million dollar property that Scott Lesler owns and you can't, you can't build a $1 million park because who's going to pay for that? Yeah. That's something that the developers really talked about is that some of the, the buildings that people are upset about, whether, whether they're in bad shape or they think that more could be done, whether that's with a park and different things, you really can't force uh, someone who owns private property to change their property, really upkeep it. But with this new development, because there are these public comments and this public approval, the public can have a lot more input in terms of what goes in. So things like the playground, things like the green space, they can really talk about what they want the the project to look like because it is new and it is being designed. And it's really up to the public to support this project because in order for the housing units to get that federal um, support through the low-income housing tax credit program, like we mentioned, they have to have that support from the the town and the townspeople to say that yes we want this project here because that funding sort of allows the building to come up and then sort of control the rents so now they're looking at people who would fit into that category or qualify for the rents their incomes being between twenty and seventy thousand dollars a year which sort of falls in with what the median amount of people in Brunswick make and if I'm correct, I believe that's kind of where we fall, too. Yes, we would both qualify for that type of housing, which is somewhat interesting because that was talked a lot about at the public meeting that I went to. Um, you had representatives from the United Way there really talking about their ALICE report, which is the Asset Limited Income Constraint Employed report. And that looks at the sort of the, the cost of living in Frederick County, um, depending on the size of your household, whether you are a single individual, you have two kids, one kid, and the, the sort of monthly budget you need just to get by. So that's paying for your basic housing, your basic childcare, transportation costs, food, with no savings, and you have really no debt at that point. Um, and that report came out in the fall of last year, um, and it said about 40% of people in Frederick County are essentially living paycheck to paycheck or just sort of scraping by or below that level in terms of they can't afford the basic cost of living. So you're making sacrifices on your transportation and upkeeping your car or you're skipping meals or maybe sending your child to a daycare center that isn't approved or just sort of giving them to a family member. Um, so that 40% for the whole county, um, the United Way actually breaks that down by municipality. And in Brunswick, it's over 50%. So over 50% of the residents in that town are in that category where they're 
unable to make enough money to really get by. Um, and this housing development would be something to really lessen the cost of housing for, for these people. So you're, you're not paying more than the sort of 30% figure that is sort of thrown out as that's the, the amount that you should be paying for housing. Whereas some of the people that are fall under this Alice category are paying much more than that, whether that's 40, 50, or 60% of their income is just going to the housing because housing costs are so high. And when you went to that meeting, how, how was the public reception of this project? Were, were people more on board with it than they might have been in the past, or were they still pretty anti-railroad square? There was definitely concerns um, similar to what Kate had mentioned with questions about, is this going to lead to crime? Is this going to lead to drug use? Like, what types of people are going to be coming in? And that's really where the pushback from the affordable housing advocates came and saying, look, these people that are going to be using these units are already in your community. So if you're going to say that they're criminals, that they're drug users, then you're sort of saying that your community is full of criminals and drug users. But what I heard from several residents, um, with me being new to this story, several people had told me that when the project first came out, when they first heard about it or attended a meeting about it, they were very hard against it. But in the year since, seeing these new designs, they're really seeing that the developers were listening to their concerns and had changed things. And while they may not be gung-ho in supporting it, they're much more willing to sort of talk about this type of project being in their community and not just blunt, no, we don't want it. And that's something I kind of saw, too, when I went to my meeting, which was at the council. Um, there are people who are against it, and they're kind of this, this camp that are against it. And one of them, uh, a woman named Cynthia, was actually kind of upset because you know, the um, council kind of talked about how, oh, it was only a couple people who were still upset. And she's like, oh, no, there are, there are a lot of us. And she's probably not wrong, but it does seem like there's this camp that has been against it from the beginning and they aren't necessarily swayed yet. But I did see a lot of people who are starting to shift their opinion. Um, one thing I did notice of the camp that's against it is now they're kind of going away from, I didn't hear about the of what kind of people are coming in. It was more about, well, what do we know about this developer, which I thought was an interesting um development um uh, in this case just because you have someone who's like actually we're okay if you know um cj tyree does this project with his group but maybe we don't want pos to do it um and we should say that cj tyree is the one who's developing the the housing part of the entire development where pos and verdant is sort of taking the overall foundation of the square yeah which i thought was like a very interesting thing because i mean that's not wrong to for concerned citizens to look into people who are coming in i mean you do hear that they have a lot of complaints with uh, scott lessler so it's probably not a bad idea to look into people who are going to do business in your community but i did find it a little weird that that's the new um thread that they're going on but i did want to end on this like very interesting um comment that i got from karen home and brunswick's this very interesting place that i find because you have Tom Smith, who is a former mayor, and now he's a councilman. You have these, um, one of the, uh, Dr. Wayne Allgaier, who is a former council member, <coughs> who was the one to call it an ugly block, and he's at every town meeting um, with his wife. And then you have Karen Tome, who comes to a lot, and she's a former mayor. So you just have all these very active people who have been in positions of power. And so Karen, um, very, you know, kind of put that in perspective and said, you know, hi like that kind of hindsight's 2020, and she said, you know, when they were talking about Brunswick Crossing or any of the other developments, she was like, man, did I give, you know, people hell over those things. And like, look at, you know, they love Brunswick Crossing now. Or I mean, some people don't love it, but, you know, it's a pretty good um, development. So I think that was very interesting. She was kind of like, I'm jealous that you get to make these decisions now. I'm sure she wouldn't have been jealous back then when she was making those own decisions. But it is that very interesting perspective of, you know, there is a lot of 
fighting as something happens, you know, comes up and you have to make a decision, but it can turn out pretty well. Yeah, and to a similar vein, that's something several residents had talked to me about in saying, look, this project isn't perfect, but we've been looking for something to happen downtown, some sort of development. And even doing this project could spur other people to really look at their own businesses and their own buildings and say, hey, like they're sprucing up this side of town, maybe I should do something. Or other developers seeing that Brunswick is really committed to revitalizing its downtown and they might come in. So this could sort of be the, the shot that gets Brunswick going. Yeah, and that, that was kind of echoed by um, Mayor Snoots and Councilman Von Ripley. Um, I think Mayor Snoots, um, to kind of describe the area, was just kind of like, I've been living here for all my life, and like it, nothing's been done with that area. I mean, you do have Scott Lester's buildings, which were occupied, like many of them were occupied, but you did have some that were vacant. But beyond, like behind it, they kind of talk about how it's just kind of falling apart, and it has been falling apart. So he was kind of like, something has to be done. And I think Von Ripley put it really well. Um, when he's just like, you know, something has to be done. You told us something has to be done. And now we're talking about something that could be done. This is an opportunity. Like we should be taking it, um, which I thought was very pretty strong statement from the council that had been kind of wavering in support in the past. So like I mentioned that the council did send a letter of support uh, for an affordable um, housing project in this area, acknowledging that this project has a lot of obstacles to overcome. We'll note that they were very clear that they are in favor of affordable housing and how it's always been. It's just this particular project that they want to make sure it goes through a lot of different requests. But so if that letter goes through and then they are able to get the tax credits for the development, um, you'll still see a site plan that has to go through. Um, That's where you'll see a lot of the nitpicking from the council already. They were talking about parking and the facade and historical elements. So you'll, there's clearly going to be an uphill battle um, from residents in the council to make sure this it's coming out to be exactly like they want in Brunswick. Um, but then it would go to the planning commission and eventually, you know, there'll be public comment hearings um, and then eventually it'll go before the council. Yeah, so there's a lot of if this happens, if this happens, if this happens. But if all of those ifs happen, the sort of timeline that they laid out is that construction could begin in the summer of 2020. And then hopefully the apartment units would be, quote unquote, online or ready for people to move in in the summer of 2021. And I know that we're talking about this on this specific episode, but we will be continuing to cover this um, project. I know that I'll be going to a lot of Brunswick meetings that will probably have to do with this. So you can always check out our reporting at FrederickNewsPost.com. And again, as we end every episode here on Frederick Uncut, or almost every episode, we are talking with Kate Masters again, but this time about her work in 72 hours this week. Hey, guys. Hi again, Kate. Hello. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about what we should expect Uh, in 72 hours this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'll start with my cover story, which is about my profile of a documentary called Fading Portraits. It's going to premiere at the DC International Film Festival um, next week. And it follows a photographer in Iran um, who actually took she took photographs of the 1979 um, Iranian Revolution. um, and, And in the course of the film, you see her struggle because the um, Ministry of the Interior and Islamic Affairs won't let her publish the book um, without some of the photos being omitted. And so she's fighting to have all of those photos published. And then there's sort of a question I think that the film grapples with, which is why? Like, why is the ministry not letting her do this? Um, and the filmmakers, um, two of the people involved with the film, 
the producing director and the composer uh, both graduated from Frederick High School. They they still feel a strong Frederick connection. One of them actually told me that the last time he had his picture in the Frederick News Post was when he like scored a goal for his high school in soccer. So I think it's exciting that they get to come back and kind of like represent this film in their home area. And how do they hear about this film? Because that's a very like interesting story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, so the, the producing director is actually from Iran and um, he was telling me that um, a few years ago he actually went over there with the idea of doing his own documentary which he wanted to focus on the difficulties that Iranians were having um, getting visas like travel visas to come and visit relatives in the U.S. Um, because you know again like after the revolution relationships between the U.S. and Iran kind of deteriorated and so it was a situation where people living there literally couldn't get a tourist visa to go and visit families but then obviously he ran into some difficulties because of the people who are having difficulties getting that visa some of them didn't want to talk to him and it's kind of hard to make a film if you don't have any (laughs) subjects wanting to go on record but over the course of um, doing that he connected with another filmmaker in Iran um, who who connected with this artist as photographer and started filming her and was interested in her story and for people who you know read your story and or hear this podcast and want to go see that film how can they see it um so it's at the DC International Film Festival and you're putting me on the spot Heather (laughs) because I don't have the exact date in front of me but um I would just google it and it's going on all next week and I know that there there's actually premieres the filming um the screening is on Thursday right when the article comes out perfect well thank you very much Kate yeah thank you guys Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio. And me, Wyatt Massey. And edited by Graham Cullen. See you next week. Mm-hmm.